Hello, hello, and welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. Better Birth Podcast is brought to you by Angela Health. We are helping pregnant parents keep stem cells from their umbilical cord and placenta so they can use them later on in life in case any family member needs a stem cell treatment. My name is Catherine, and I am the founder of Angela Health. I founded it in memory of my younger brother, Andrew, who passed away but needed cord blood stem cells to treat his own cerebral palsy. So being able to save stem cells right at birth is something that is really important to me and Angela Health is actually named after my brother, Andrew. So it is really special and everything that we do is in memory of him, but also with the broader mission of making birth better for parents, including the experience of cord blood banking. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. So we are super, super excited to be able to do this celebrity reaction today. Um, And we are here with Amelia, who is the head of community at Angela Health. And I met her because I was actually reaching out to different doulas who were, who could potentially partner with us and be able to spread the word about Angela Health and the importance of saving your umbilical cord and placenta at birth, which is my personal mission in life and the mission of the company. So I met Amelia by just trying to meet doulas and then she was really interested in being a part of our mission. So I love working with Amelia and she's absolutely fantastic, has so much birth experience, not only from her own birth, giving birth to her daughter, but um, through being a doula and observing literally hundreds of births. So yeah, I'm super excited and thanks for watching. And not gonna be to everyone's taste. So when we announced it, in my mind, I was like, oh, like it's just this beautiful, like, she was, that's just her, like that's, she's Bambi and like that's just this beautiful name, like, and it's amazing, amazing. And then like two seconds after posting it, I was like, Oh my god, like, I don't know why I'm even talking about this in this video, because this is meant to be like a really positive, happy video. But yeah, just there's so many things from the last two weeks that like we have to talk about and just catch up on. But this is going to be my birth story. I have actually written it all down in this book, and it's taken up six pages. I've not written that much since I was in secondary school doing my GCSEs. I did mention the other day on my Instagram. Molly May is? I have no idea. Oh, okay, basically, wait, I actually, if you search birth, this is literally what the top vlog from a non-provider um, because she was like, she won Love Island and then her husband, okay. her like, they're not married, but like her Love Island, like they basically stayed together. Now it's been like four years or something. And what's crazy is she's actually my age, like right now. Um, and Damn girl. And then she, <laughs> yeah. And she, she talks about in one of her other vlogs, how I used to love Love Island. So like, I like love Molly May. So I was watching this anyway. <laughs> But the guy that Perfect. she like, paired up with on Love Island is um, this, like, fighter, Tommy Fury. And he's actually going to fight Jake Paul soon. So he's becoming more and more relevant in, like, American pop culture. <laughs> Perfect time to react to her video. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Brief interruption for our podcast listeners, and then we'll get right back to it. If you're currently pregnant, then this is important for you to know. So when I was three and my brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. One treatment for cerebral palsy is giving children stem cells from their own umbilical cord. The umbilical cord and placenta are both super rich with stem cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And when they come from the baby, they're a perfect match for that baby. However, my family didn't save stem cells for my brother and we couldn't find a match when the time came. It's pretty difficult to find a cord blood stem cell match if you're a person of color or mixed race. So the best solution to this problem is to save stem cells right at birth. You can do this with Angel Health. We have a kit that you can bring with you to birth and it contains all of the tools that your provider needs to collect your umbilical cord and placenta. 
After birth, you can place a pickup in our parent portal and we'll come and pick it up from anywhere in the United States and bring it to our lab in New Jersey where it will be frozen in the same way that you can freeze eggs or sperm. Then your family will always have access to stem cells for future disease treatment. Stem cells have been used to treat type 1 diabetes, different types of cancers, heart disease, liver disease, multiple sclerosis, and more. Get your kit today with Anja Health by going to anjahealth.com. That's A-N-J-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can always text or call us with questions as well at 310-620-1663. And yes, it is always a real person. And now back to the episode. Instagram story, um, a little bit about my delivery of Bambi and how my birth went and the type of birth that I had. Um, I called it a natural delivery and a lot of people were in my DM saying you should have called it a vaginal delivery because all... So I want to get your thoughts on that first. Like if people say a natural delivery, do you feel some type of way about it not being called that? I think it's inherently saying... I get where people are coming from, but I also think it can kind of like delve into nitpicking. Like, yeah, yeah, every birth is birth. And so like, regardless of if you had a cesarean or a vaginal birth, um, you're a mom or a parent. Right. So yeah, I think that there, and you also gave birth and I think it, it can feel like an us versus them situation with parents of like, oh, they had a cesarean and I had like a natural birth, so I'm superior. But like, yeah, there's no awards for having a vaginal mm-hmm. birth. Um, it could be an easier recovery, but like you're not more of a parent or more of a mom for yeah. one or the other. So I, I get where the like, I get where that conversation comes from, but I don't think, I mean, I guess like somebody who had a cesarean might feel differently, but I feel like, yeah, I, mean, I get what the premise is, is like, you gave birth how your body is created to give birth or made to give birth yeah. is vaginally, but yeah, anyways. <laughs> cool. Birth and natural. And when I read that, like I actually felt kind of disappointed in myself and like a bit upset that I'd not really thought about that. Of course, all birth, cesarean, vaginal, like they're literally all natural, like they're all incredible. And however you've given birth to your child or however you plan to give birth to your child or whoever it turns out is natural and amazing and incredible. Um, But I was able to vaginally give birth to her. Now, guys, like I actually, (laughs) if you've been following my pregnancy journey, then you will know that was for me like oh my god like I pushed her out of my vagina like (laughs) what don't get me wrong she that down there will never be the same again okay it might be I don't know we're still reminds me of um do you know this uh love is blind the show yes there's this girl, Alexis Lemieux, and she just, they recorded this conversation of her talking to her stepmom about how she only wants to ever have C-sections because she was like, I don't want anything coming out of my Yahoo. And she was like, my Yahoo is not going to change. Oh my gosh. Well, I hate to break it to you, but as you age, your Yahoo is going to change your girls. <laughs> oh, really? So you do you, and I feel like I've heard of, I've seen TikToks where people talk about like, it kind of like snaps back mostly. Do you feel like that's true? Yeah, I, and it's different. Everything is different, yeah. right? Your entire body is different. Like when you, before you have your baby or before you even get pregnant all the way to after, like everything's different. Mm. But 
The vagina is a muscle. It's surrounded by muscles. Your entire pelvic floor is kind of suspended by muscles. And as age increases, tone decreases. So even your pelvic floor, I mean, this is why it's so important to have healthy, a healthy pelvic floor tone. Yeah. after birth and for people to follow up after birth for pelvic floor therapy is because like, if you don't deal with that situation and like, um, strengthen those muscles, then like it can degrade them faster as you age, but everybody's like vaginal muscle tone is going to change as they age Mm. regardless. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point of view. I think it doesn't (laughs) necessarily like match reality, but I, I see where people are coming from when they think that. Yeah. Um, How do you normally recommend people maintain their vaginal state if that's what they're concerned about? It's just pelvic, pelvic floor therapy, right? Pelvic floor therapy, yeah. yeah. There's some tools, like, <laughs> some people use, like, um, yoni-strengthening eggs and things like that, but there's a lot of things on the market that aren't necessarily evidence-based. But So, like, what is evidence-based is seeing a pelvic floor therapist yeah (laughs) Um, and I've seen pelvic floor therapists I recommend it I think that they're amazing people who can just like generally help you even if you haven't given birth or if you have you know had a cesarean even even after having a cesarean I think pelvic floor therapy can be helpful because like the weight of your pregnancy shifts everything anyways even without like actually vaginally birthing so Mm -hmm. yeah okay interesting cool we're still obviously working that out so on the 18th we went down to london for a kind of like a routine checkup i was another thing they gave birth in the uk so i think it's kind of interesting that she's going viral in the u.s because they're like i get comments on my tiktoks that's like i can tell you're in the u.s because you always say ob instead of midwife but like in the uk midwifery is more of a standard or yeah so um yeah, that's something else that's interesting is she talks about, like, the midwifery standard, and I feel like it starts to normalize American culture. Totally. Totally. Language matters. 37 and a half weeks at this point. When we went for this appointment, I had an internal check because I had told the lady delivering our baby that I'd been experiencing quite a lot of pain down there, and it almost felt like for the last that last week I had, like, a brick inside my vagina and it was very 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 heavy down there very achy I was struggling to walk actually and every time I walked it just kind of felt like like I was about to give birth to a brick and I just kind of told her about this and she was like right let's just do a quick intern time what do you think that was the brick is her baby's head sitting in her pelvis <laughs> well, that's adorable but yes that brick is your baby <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny <laughs> I know to check what your cervix is saying because i'm sure your cervix is going to be long hard and closed obviously tommy and i were very shocked we were very unprepared we actually just found this out the day before i filmed my hospital bag video and that's why in that video i was like guys i've got a lot going on because i just found out that i was going to be giving birth in a couple of days i was going to be induced the reason we decided to be induced and not let the labor come on naturally is because obviously like i said we'd chosen to give birth in london and also as you guys know, I can't really avoid talking about it. Tommy has an absolutely gigantic fight in just a couple of weeks. And we, through this period of life, really just needed to have some sort of understanding of like when things were going to be happening. We needed to have a rough understanding of... What are your thoughts on that? And just the, the cervix as well. So what she's talking about with the favorable cervix is basically signs that labor is impending. I think somebody saying like you're not going to make it to your due date because you're one centimeter dilated 
I don't know that I would agree with that statement. I mean, I'm not the one who like did the vaginal exam, but some people can sit at one centimeter for five weeks. Like mm. it just kind of depends. So I think it can get people's like hopes up and then they get disappointed if they get there. So I don't know if I would use that language, but um, it's pretty common. I mean, favorable is like a fairly common term for like when the cervix is like shortening. So the cervix is, you can imagine it kind of like a long donut, like tall donut. Yeah. And this is of course not the size that it is. I'm just, my hands are not the size of the cervix, but um, effacement is where the cervix thins this way. And then Mm -hmm. dilation is when it opens this way. Mm. So dilation is, you know, they measure it. It's very, abstract in how they measure it when yeah. they do an exam they put the number of fingers so basically one centimeter dilated is like one finger fits into the cervix and then mm. they can feel that the cervix is like thinner right so in order yeah. for um in order for your cervix to be fully dilated what you want it to be is fully effaced which is where there's no thickness to it it's like paper thin and then it's fully dilated to essentially where you can't feel any cervix because the baby's head has replaced that space mm. Wow. So what she was feeling, the midwife was feeling, is that her cervix was soft, which throughout your entire pregnancy, it stays hard. It's kind of what keeps your baby in. Yeah. Um, and so as as your um, prostaglandins and everything, as you get labor closer to labor and closer to contractions and the whole process, um, the cervix does get softer and you start to like feel that. So I think when I went into labor, um, before I went into labor with Esme, I was two centimeters dilated, I think, for three weeks. And it was my first baby. Wow. Monday morning came around and at 7am we went in to hospital. Sorry that I'm like literally reading this from a book, but my brain is just so not functioning at the minute. This is kind of how I need to do it. Um, so I've written down here, 7.30am I had a gel inserted into my vagina. This is going to be real TMI in the story. I'm not going to hold back on anything. And I'm ready for all of the embarrassing headlines, guys. You know, when I spoke about my last video, um, breastfeeding from myself, you should see, like, even my family were like, Molly, like, come on now, what are you doing? There was literally a Daily Mail article and the screenshot was me, like, lifting my boob into my mouth. And the headline was, Molly May tried to breastfeed herself. And I was like, you know what? Like, I can't win. I want to tell you guys everything and be open and be myself on my channel. But then I just get... I get smacked with stuff like that and I'm like, you know what, like I will take all of the embarrassing headlines just to be completely 100 with you guys and keep it real. So the gel that I had inserted, I believe it's sort of, it's meant to sort of like give signals to your body and sort of make, sort of make it. So when, what was that gel? It's, it's probably um, a cervical, a cervical ripener. Mm-hmm. Um, it's prostic, synthetic prostaglandins, okay. um, which is a hormone, um, hormone induction. It may have been um, cervidil or something like that. Help your cervix further dilate. Yeah. So basically what they're trying to do is get the cervix softer so that you can potentially insert, I don't know exactly how she's induced. We'll find out, but, um, oftentimes they want it to be soft and then they insert a Foley bulb, which is a, a kind of manually dilates you. Um, it just, they pump air into it and it like puts pressure. It's like a balloon. Um, you could totally Google it and add kind of a thing of what that is. Yeah. Um, but they basically want you to be dilated to a certain point before they start synthetic oxytocin, which is called Pitocin. Right. Um, so that it's your body's favorable enough to actually like start producing contractions. I see. Yeah. Do you think people ever do breastfeed themselves? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I literally, I saw like a TikTok a few days ago about, um, 
like how people were talking yeah they basically colostrum has become this whole like wellness thing and people like think that it's like full of benefits and stuff like that so they like are really trying to like excrete it when they can okay sure whatever (laughs) i mean colostrum is like they call it liquid gold right it's cream for babies i don't know how much health benefits it has for adults um, I don't think there's really any like research on the benefits for adults. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if someone's dealing with a clogged duct um, in early breastfeeding, like finding a way to get suction that has like enough yeah. power to get that clogged duct out. I mean, if your partner's down, like it's much easier than trying to like bend Wait, over. No. And but yeah. like honestly, like <clears throat> when you're early breastfeeding, a lot of people's like boobs are big enough that yeah. they can reach it and do it themselves and if they feel more comfortable you should totally do that there's a lot of different ways but like yeah I mean a lot of times like partners can do it as well and I think there should be I think people should be able to talk about those these things like it's kind of sad that you can say like hey this is what I'm going through and then you kind of get like blasted in the tabloids yeah 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 understand that you wanted to go into labor it's meant to sort of like soften your cervix and I was told that that gel was going to take six hours to be effective so I was hooked up to monitors the gel was inserted Tommy and I were in the hospital like it was all very chilled and I was like okay six hours I'm just gonna be chilling I'd probably say within no word of a lie 10 minutes after that gel was inserted the pain the pain the pain guys it's no joke it's no joke Six hours, I was told. After ten minutes, I was like, ah, like I was gagging. In pe- I was, oh my god, the amount of pain. It was untrue. I'll be completely honest. It was untrue. And do you know what I know? The best part about it is that wasn't even contractions. The pain I was experiencing was not contractions. And the way I was crying, screaming, nearly throwing up. The nurses were looking at me as if to be like, oh. God, this is going to be a long day. This is going to be a long day. I'm not going to sit here and say, sit here and say. Wait, what is that pain from? I don't know. Maybe a reaction to the Cervidil? Oh, okay. I don't know. Does she, maybe she'll explain. Didn't they give it sooner, do you think? They typically won't give an epidural before, like, four centimeters. Oh, okay. Um, because it basically, like, it inhibits later labor, and you're pretty much, like, walking into a cesarean at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but most people who get an epidural, they can still have a vaginal birth, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of the time. I mean, epidurals can, epidurals can, there's people can have reactions to epidurals, right? So that it can lower or increase, like, um, can lower your blood pressure. It can um, kind of give you a fever. You can get a fever. Um, and so that can be kind of... Um, epidural fever is a whole thing um it can lower the baby's heart rate there's a lot of different like complications that can happen from epidural um the epidural medication and so it does increase your risk of having a cesarean just because of there's the perfect kind of mix of all those things they're going to have to get the baby out yeah um so but in most cases like it's hospital policy to basically define like okay you can't get an epidural but before you're in active labor um, because they don't want people to, they don't, they don't want to have unnecessary cesareans and they're, they don't want to increase your risk of complications. Cause the longer yeah. you have an epidural kind of like the higher risk you are. Mm. Um, and so every, I mean, I would, I, I'm not sure what like their birth center, um, or L and D had as a policy, but I'm assuming that's probably why they mm. wouldn't allow it. And if she wasn't even already, if she wasn't even in labor yet, right. Like if this was just discomfort from the prostaglandins, um, it's a Do you whole think that's what it was from? 
Yeah, she's describing it very similar to a reaction to prostaglandins. I don't know, maybe the maybe the doctor told her her or her didn't. Um, kind of like I don't know what they told her. Um, but yeah, I've I've seen that like twice or heard of it of somebody having like a distinct reaction to an induction method mm. um, where they're just like in constant pain and suffering. For not it's not super common. Um, I've seen it more with pitocin, where people just like they just slow the pitocin down at that point and just oh, okay. move you off it. But when it's a gel, yeah. like it's basically absorbed into the vaginal walls. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So around midday, I was given my epidural. The epidural being administered, like the pain of that, I would say was literally a one out of ten. Like they give you a um an an inject. Sorry, I can't speak. They give you an injection first. I don't know if it's like a like a local anesthetic <clears throat> in your back, just like a little injection, so that the actual um, putting the epidural in, like the tube in your spine or whatever it is, you don't really feel it. So um, the doctor, who was amazing, he um, gave me my little injection for pain relief, um, and then he put the epidural in. You just have to sit up really, really straight. In fact, I'll pop a picture. That's usually the case. Depends on how the epidural is placed and how much they dose for the original kind of dose. Um, I'm assuming they started her at a low dose yeah. yeah so what she was talking about like before they place your epidural they give you a shot of lidocaine which numbs the like spot where they put the in the catheter the epidural catheter because mm-hmm. it's kind of a long like tube um, yeah. in your back yeah oh, okay wait i'm gonna sneeze <laughs> okay maybe it's passing after all that and my epidural was in and working and my doctor came in and she broke my waters tommy watched that whole process like he literally watched everything he also watched how does that part work so they use like a crochet hook so that oh. looks like a crochet hook and they just go in and they snag the edge of the amniotic sac because oh. it's kind of like if once you're dilated to where you can like put a finger and she's not really saying like if they're checking her to see if she's progressing which i'm assuming that she's progressing to like yeah. two centimeters or something at this point um Oh, hello. Hello there. I just said, that's quite good timing, actually, because I literally just said that you watched the whole thing. I did, seeing everything. What do you think? Seeing everything. It was like a science class, but in real life. Um, <laughs> it was It was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Was it? Yeah, because it's like... It was magical, wasn't it? It's weird, because before you have a child and, and someone tells you that you're going to see this and you're going to see that and you're going to see this cut and that cut... You feel like spewing your guts up, but when you see it, it's it's the most beautifulest thing. It's so pure, you know, holidays, whatever. It just doesn't compare to being a father and having your own family. Yeah, it's the best feeling in the it world. Is. I love that little girl. Yeah, no, they have um, they have great cuddles. They have great cuddles. I think because yeah. on me, twenty four seven, she smells milk and she associates me with feeding. feeding. So she doesn't really settle that well with me because whenever she's with me, she's like, "Is that true? Is that a thing? Like they associate the mother with milk?" Oh yeah, they can smell it <laughs> if you're breastfeeding. Um, I think if people, it probably depends on how like your parenting style is. Like if you want to be able to just like hold your baby and not feed them and like keep them on a schedule it's probably harder i just yeah i just pacify breastfed i'm like whatever mm. you can breastfeed if you want to like i don't really care and eventually yeah. she just like would fall asleep great oh, okay. <laughs> interesting 
we call her a little truffle pig. She's just like snuffling around for milk. Like she just, all she wants to do is feed. But when she's with you, she's like, ah, and like she just falls asleep on his chest and can just be lying there for like four hours, just not moving. Um, the best thing. She is the best thing, isn't she? You went up a hundred gazillion percent in my book. Like the respect that I had, I had a lot of respect for women anyway, because what they go through periods and stuff like that. But then birth is a completely different level. So after seeing that and experiencing what she went through, you know, it's just, honestly, men are, men are pretty much useless, to be honest. Um, you know, women are, honestly, they, they deserve a lot of credit because the stuff they have to go through, you got to be a very, very strong woman to go through it and credit to anybody who has gone through it. You've got women power. Sorry. Sorry. Never Don't again. ever do okay. that again. No. Because I'm... Okay. So what do you recommend as a breast pump and also what do you recommend for dads to, like, feel useful? I mean... You can do all the diaper changes and meal mm. prep and, like, do the dishes and laundry. Like, yeah, that's all things that, like, if, doesn't, if it doesn't happen, it's going to fall on yeah. your partner, right? So um, if you don't want to do it yourself, you can always hire someone to do it. <laughs> um, or, like, hire a postpartum doula if you want to. But, uh, yeah, I think making sure that your partner gets a chance to get a shower every day. And make sure that they're, all their supplies are stocked, you know, if they need more disposable underwear, pads, like, make sure those things are, like, happening. Refill their snacks by their breastfeeding station. Um, make sure their water bottle is completely full always with whatever temperature water. If they like ice water, better better get some ice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of things that can be done. I think generally in our society, we kind of... Um, those routines aren't built into people's domestic kind of like pursuits in the first place. And so it can feel like a large change to do that. But if you just like build it in during pregnancy, that's a great way to start. Um, Yeah. That's what I would say. Mm. Cool. It's a great way to start. And then what breast pump would you recommend? So I think everybody's breast pump um, situation is like there's preferences. Um, before, my the best advice that my midwife gave me after birth was not to pump in the first 14 days post-birth. Okay, yeah, um, she and if I felt, when she made when she filmed this. Yeah, and then um, a lot of people feel like they have to pump to make their milk come in, but it can cause, like, actually, like, exacerbate clogged duct, mm-hmm. ducts. So my midwife said, like, just use a haka. If, you, if you're, like, leaking a lot, then you can collect it, but, like, don't do any active pumping. Like, just... Maybe on to breastfeed for the first two weeks. Yeah. And then after that, if you want to pump, you can pump. Um, so I never got into like any crazy pumping routine. Like I would do it on occasion. Like I kept some in my freezer and stuff, but Mm. I mostly was like working at home. So I didn't have anywhere. And then COVID of course happened. And so we weren't going anywhere anyway. So there wasn't any like crazy reason to pump. Um, but the biggest thing with like finding the right pump is making sure that you have the right size flange that's like actually goes over the breast um, because if that's not correct, then you're going to feel it's not going to work right. 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 Um, So I really liked the LV pump, which is like a hands-free pump. Um, Once I kind of got the hang of it, then I would just like put it in my bra and then I would just like do whatever else I was doing and then take it out after a while. Like it just wasn't that serious to me. Yeah. But usually like a lot of people love the specter pumps. Like everyone has like their like favorite and your insurance will usually pay for one. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can also um, some places have uh, like pump rentals where you can like go in and try several different kinds before you pick. 
um, and also get measured to make sure that your flange is the right size. So like a lactation consultant should be able to help you measure. Um, yeah. And sometimes they can do that like in the hospital too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Right. I'll have an hour and then I'll go and get your best one. Great. Okay. Right. I love you. Love you. June 26th of Feb. Be there, I'll be square. Um, For a demolition job. Exactly. <laughs> I completely have forgotten where I've gotten up to. But from what I think I said, I think I said my hormone drip was started, my wards were broken, and we were sort of getting into the flow of things now. Um, Labour was sort of actually sort of taking place, but I could feel the sensations of my contractions. So I could feel my whole body and my whole stomach like going super, super, super tight. Like my whole body could feel it, but there was no pain. And I could feel that happening. So I could still feel like my whole labour. I could still feel what was going on. I still was completely aware as to what was going on with my body. But um, is that normal? Like you feel it, but there's no, oh, okay. Because my mom yeah. said she gave birth to me. She was like, she was literally always like, your birth was so easy after I got that epidural. Yeah, because it's it takes away the pain, but it doesn't take yeah. away the pressure. Oh. It shouldn't take away the pressure. Okay. So you should be able to still feel like the contractions and feel like your stomach being really tight. Yeah. Right. But like you're so you could feel the same like urge to like push it all. That's an epidural that's working okay. properly. Um, if you don't feel anything, that's actually really problematic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was in no pain, which was just absolutely magical. So it got to about four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, this is where things happened very, very quickly. And I'm going to try and explain this as simply and as easy to understand as, as possible. Basically, since the minute I was hooked up to the monitors in the morning, the doctors and nurses weren't happy with Bambi's movement and her heart rate. They were just not really happy with how she was doing in my stomach. Now, the craziest part about all of this is, is that the whole day I kept saying to them, she's a really quiet baby in the days. Like I've told you guys so many times, like I didn't, I did never really felt Bambi move in the day, but I kind of always put that down to the fact that I had an anterior placenta. Um, but I kept saying to the doctors every time they were saying like, you know, we're not too happy with her movement. We're not too happy with her heart rate. They just weren't quite a hundred percent at all with how she was doing inside my stomach from the second I got hooked up in the morning at seven before we'd even started anything. Um, but I did keep saying to them, I was like, I don't know, you know, I just, this might just be her. Like she's a very quiet baby in the day. Like I never tend to feel her. She's very chilled. She doesn't really move a lot. What do you think is happening? I don't know. Like there's, their monitors just maybe, I mean, I don't, it, depends on like what the baby's normal activity was to some yeah. extent like if the baby's heart rate was typically like 140 150 beats mm -hmm. per minute and then it was 112 yeah that would be cause for concern right especially yeah. if it never ever picked up yeah. um but yeah it's, i i'm interested to hear like what happens mm. yeah um, but obviously they're doctors and they're not going to be like okay well if you said that then we'll totally believe you like we'll just totally just think that's just what it is because I'd only dilated three centimeters the doctor basically said that with Bambi's strange movements and heart you said they normally don't give an epidural until they hit four so they gave it prematurely they gave it to her pretty early then um that's interesting yeah oh, maybe they have maybe they have a two centimeter um yeah. policy at this hospital yeah I think every, um, 
I would say that like every birthplace has their own policies, but then also the providers can kind of override things sometimes too. So. Right. She was like, I'm really not sure I want to try and push your body too much further. She was like, I don't know if your body's coping with it that well. I don't know if the baby girl is coping, coping with it that well. She was like, I'm just not too sure this is quite going to plan. Um, so at four o'clock, the word cesarean C-section did get mentioned and she was like, it's a possibility that you might have to go in for a C-section if baby girl doesn't sort of like perk up or doesn't sort of start responding how we want her to. If you don't start dilating more, like we need to sort of see some sort of movement, some sort of signs. So then from that point on, like what you were saying about the main problem with birth and intervention is that it's moving too slowly. Yeah, you're trying to force something to happen that your body hasn't decided it's ready to do. Right? Yeah. It's trying to like push the envelope and... Mm-hmm. We don't trust our bodies to go into labor when yeah. they are. I mean, I know that they had extenuating circumstances, like right, yeah. she wanted her partner to be there and whatnot. But yeah, it's kind of interesting, like how this is just a continuing narrative. Like it reminds me of Heidi talking yesterday about like the clients who go into spontaneous labor and don't have any interventions, whether it's epidural or you know, those yeah. sorts of interventions, there's a 0% chance that they've had cesarean. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen that actually, though, on mine. Like, I've had clients who are completely, like, everything was great. There were no interventions, so they needed a cesarean quickly. Oh, okay. So I don't think that that's, like, the end-all, be-all. Yeah. Um, it's happened twice where we've, everything's been going great, and then things change very rapidly due to, like, cord slipping between the baby's head or whatever. Who knows what, you yeah. know. So it's not like a perfect rem. It's not a perfect yeah. equation, right? Like sometimes our bodies do things we don't want them to do. Um, but with that being said, like this is how, like this is a classic like cascade of interventions. Vulnerable video I will ever ever have of me, um, and to women that put that online and open themselves up, like that is incredible. And you have like. I think it's so amazing. Like I have a, a whole new respect for women that do birth vlogs now and like show that and sh- and show their births online. Like that is amazing. And like the fact that you have the confidence to do that. Like I, I can barely watch my video back myself. I think I've watched it back once with no volume. I bored my eyes out watching it. And, um, I feel like it's, I don't know, I just feel like I, I will definitely never, ever be able to show that. I don't even know if I'll ever be able to show it to anyone. My sister is begging and begging and begging to watch it, and I'm just like, oh, God, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like I can't. So, yeah, anyway. Um, I, do you have video like that? Yeah, I do. And I don't feel, I don't feel the same way, uh, like, the same amount of, like, vulnerability, I guess. Like, Esme's seen her birth video. <laughs> But I would never show it to my mom, I guess, or, like, my sister. I would show it to one of my sisters-in-law, but not the other. <laughs> like, my one of my brother's um, fiancés, I would show it to her. Like, but it's just kind of a – I get what she's saying. Like, it's so, like, raw and vulnerable, and you're kind of in this, like, space, and it's, like, also very sacred, too. Yeah. It's like, birth in itself. Like, there's so much of it that is just, like – it pulls out a part of you that you just don't even realize exists until that moment and mm-hmm. so like nobody should ever like I definitely applaud people who want to share or feel like open to sharing theirs but I totally yeah. get not wanting to at the same time yeah yeah I put my legs up in the stirrups and Bambi was actually a Vontus baby so a Vontus I don't know like 
exactly how to describe it, but it's kind of like a suction cup that goes on the baby's head. And now I'm talking about it. I say I had, like, I keep, I said online that I had, like, a natural delivery. There was nothing, like, particularly natural about my birth at all. Like, I had an epidural. I had loads of pain medication. I had a Vontuse, which means essentially when, when I'm pushing Bambi out, um, my doctor was also pulling Bambi out. So, like, a suction cup goes on her head and she was sort of kind of if I can see from the video now, she was sort of kind of like gently wiggling her out and sort of pulling her very gently. I mean, it comes with risks. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like, um... <clears throat> Why do you think they chose to do that? Just to make it easier? I'm assuming that she wasn't descending. Like, I don't know how long her pushing phase was, but maybe the baby wasn't descending as fast as they wanted. Oh, okay. Um, it sounds similar to like a vacuum delivery. Mm. Um, vacuum deliveries are very, I mean, I, her talking about this makes me realize like why she doesn't want to share. It's very graphic. It's very yeah. intense. It's also scary when they're pulling on your baby like that. Yeah. I've witnessed yeah. a forceps delivery a handful of times and vacuum deliveries twice, I think two or three times. Yeah. Um, all the times the baby ended up in the NICU. Oh, okay. With complications. So there's usually something going on where they're like, they're probably concerned. It sounds like they're concerned about the baby's heart rate. So her heart rate may have been low the entire yeah. time. And so they were just like not wanting to delay getting her out just for safety. Mm, okay. Very gently as I was pushing through my contractions. Um, but the pushing, I, oh my God, like I just, I loved it. And obviously I loved it because of my epidural, I'll be completely honest. Like, this is just me being completely honest. I enjoy the pushing. Is it, like, a good, like... Pushing is, it's, it's like, it's almost over, mm. right? Like, you know, this is the last, last step between you and your baby, and it's yeah. the part of labor that you're an active participant in instead of a passive participant. Okay. So you get to do the work at that point. Like, your body's yeah. doing the work the rest of the time, but this is, like, very intentional. Mm. Like, okay. you're making, like, effort, yeah. Yeah. Because I had an epidural, I don't think I'd have enjoyed the pushing. If I hadn't had an epidural, I don't think I would have probably enjoyed the whole labour if I hadn't had my epidural. And that's just me being completely honest. Um, my epidural made me personally completely, completely enjoy my labour. I would do it again in a heartbeat um, because I could still feel everything. I had all the sensations, but I was not in any pain. So every time I had a contraction, I could kind of feel it myself still. They did tell me when to push, but... Obviously, when you have an epidural, like, you don't, you won't feel it the same way that you would if you hadn't. Um, but I could still kind of have the sensations of when it was time to push. So I'd push, 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 push really, really, really hard, which, again, I could still feel Bambi's head coming out of my vagina. Like, I could literally feel her head coming out of me. I know I keep going on about it loads, but I do have to... I have to give credit to it because it doesn't sound normal otherwise. Because of my epidural, I could feel Bambi's head coming out of my vagina completely. I had the sensation that her head was sliding out of me, but I wasn't in pain. And I have to just say that because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Like, why was your birth? Like, why were you so calm? Like, why are you enjoying it so much? And that's just, that's the reason why. Um, but yeah, I was push, 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 pushing. She was literally like coming out of me. I could feel it. It was in incredible and like to be honest with you it like I'm sure I'm gonna get loads of questions of like what did it feel like like for me it did actually feel like I was doing a poo and by the way did I poo in birth yes I did I think the doctors were like oh like no you haven't like don't worry about it but I think I did I think I'm pretty sure I'm 99.9% .9 sure I could smell it do providers lie about that 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just have, like, Chuck's pads, you know, like, the puppy oh, okay. pads, right? And so they just, like, grab it and throw it in the garbage, like, as soon as it happens. Like, there's yeah. no time that it's just sitting there. Um, yeah, I mean, most people do poop and pushing because it's the exact same muscle group. Like, if there's yeah. anything in your bowels, like, yeah, if there's anything, it's going to come out. So yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Because um, I know you're going to be like, did you poo in birth? Yeah, that was one thing as well when I was pushing, I was quite nervous about because I was like, I know, guys. I was saying to the doctors, like, I know if I push the way I'm going to push this baby out, I am going to poo. And they were like, don't worry about it. They're like, we see it every day. They were like, we see it 24-7. Like, 90% of women poo when they give birth. And I was like, do you know what? Like, I know, but at the same time, like, this is a very vulnerable position for me right now. Like, my legs are in stirrups. There's medical professionals all around me. My boyfriend is stood here like... I don't want to poo myself. Like, yeah, and you got you guys know me. I have zero dignity, zero dignity, and even in that moment, I still cared. I don't know why. Stupid, like, really stupid. But yeah, I was just, I've been getting oh. paid a thousand dollars a month, if not more, just from this app on my phone. What do you think yeah. about her being in stirrups? Or is that like mandatory if you're in an epidural because you're like so numb? It's not mandatory. Um, okay. If you get an epidural, you can do sideline. You can't really you have limited yeah. mobility right like they don't want you yeah. to fall over so it's not like you can like i've still seen moms with an epidurals like do like hands and knees sorts of positions mm -hmm. um in stirrups is literally the worst <laughs> like, yeah it's the worst position for your pelvic floor and for your whole pelvis but it gives like doctors great access mm -hmm. um but a lot of people don't have any information so i hate to like diss on people who like yeah use stirrups because i think like they're just doing what feels right in the moment yeah um, right. but so if you have an epidural what is the best position to give birth in i would say laying on your side okay um and like having somebody maybe support you so you're kind of like in a a little bit of a squat but laying on your side would be like oh, my okay. one of like my favorites to help people and you can actually move back and forth mm. if you need to get movement and stuff yeah um and then if you, what position did you give birth in? Kind of like uh, a little bit kind of on my back, but like on one side of my pelvis. Oh, okay. So kind of like lean towards one, um, but kind of like leaned over to kind of like in a squatty potty position, yeah. but like kind of like laying, lounging. Yeah. Um, and I always thought it was going to be like hands and knees, but I could like, I couldn't, I was like, no. And I just did, I was like, I'm just going to do what my body wants to do. Yeah. Wait, why couldn't you do it? I don't painful. know. I just couldn't. I was just like, uh -huh. was, I just was like super uncomfortable. So I just laid on my side mm -hmm. and it's like in the moment, I don't even think I thought about it. Like I was just kind of like just finding the most comfortable spot. Yeah. Um, and my midwife was great. And I mean, I barely pushed, like, I think I pushed mm -hmm. like 10 times before she was born. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like it was a super prolonged process. Yeah. It was just kind of like I labored until I couldn't, stop pushing like my body was just like pushing for me mm, and then I just wow. kind of like went with it so it was a super wow. fast process <laughs> I still can't believe you did unmedicated I think <laughs> I was determined <laughs> yeah <laughs> pushing as hard as I could and I think altogether I did about eight eight pushes like eight big pushes eight huge pushes at all together and yeah she was out and they just pulled her up to me and they had actually said to me because of her heart rate and movement they were like unfortunately we're not going to be able to put you on her 
her on your chest straight away we are gonna have to take her off and um check her over because we're not quite happy with how she's doing um but she came out screaming crying and um they gave her to me straight away and they like popped her on my chest and I was just looking at her and I was like I was in complete and utter shock that's the only way I can describe it I was in literal just complete and utter shock Tommy was sobbing his heart out like I've never seen that boy I, I don't think I've ever probably seen him cry a couple of times but he was like <laughs> like the snot just streaming from his nose and we were just like hugging and she was there and honestly it was like the most magical experience of my entire life like I will never ever ever get over it and I am just so 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 lucky that um I was given the opportunity by my doctor to to try for a vaginal birth like she could have very easily just said you know what like baby's not doing well let's get you down for the c-section like and she but she gave me the chance she gave me she gave me and my body the chance to to do it the way i wanted to do it so yeah then bambi was born um so her weight i've had so many questions about her weight she was seven pounds on the dot um so yeah, she was a seven pound baby. After she was born, something really funny happened after that. Where does that fall percentile wise? And do you think like the screaming crying was enough of an indicator for them not to take her? Yeah, so basically like if a baby's doing well, um, they're going to be screaming or crying typically. Like they're gonna be making some movement. They're also gonna pay attention to color. They probably had a stethoscope and like checked right away too. Um, so obviously like there was enough science that she was doing well, that they didn't feel like they need to like resuscitate her or something. But yeah, I'm assuming that based on what she's saying, like with how short her pushing was and stuff, or the few amount of pushes that she needed to do was greatly assisted by that suction cup that they were using. Um, and then also just kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, as a baby descends through the birth canal, kind of the that pressure of going through the birth canal kind of expels amniotic fluid and all of that from their lungs. And so that can give them like the ability to just like scream their little hearts out. Um, <laughs> some babies are completely quiet and completely fine though. Oh. Like they just chill. But when they, when they scream, it does like help their lungs kind of open up. And... Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why stupidly I kind of had forgotten that I had an epidural um and I tried to get out of bed and this is I'm talking maybe 10 minutes or so after I'd literally given birth and the picture that I posted online was literally about two minutes after I gave birth one of the nurses literally just like took a picture of Tommy and I and that's why I just love that picture so because they both look so, like she looks so good in the photo I'm like wait <laughs> so much because Bambi was literally like two minutes old I'd literally just pushed her out like the emotions in that picture like I just that would forever be my favorite picture ever on the planet um but yeah about 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something after I gave birth I tried Tommy was holding Bambi in a chair by the bed and I tried to get out of bed and stand up and walk over to them both and when I like 
pivoted myself out of bed and like stood up I just literally dropped to the ground like a sack of potatoes I just like collapsed in a heap my legs literally like when I remember it my legs literally just went wool like they just went like jelly and I just like collapsed to the floor and the nurse was like oh my god oh my god like how long does it normally take to wear off usually they won't let you get out of bed unassisted for like 12 hours oh my god (laughs) Oh like they'll keep you they'll like help you like get into a wheelchair sometimes to like oh my God. Heal you, right but like they need to take the whole epidural out yeah and then um do you think they even took it out yet when she did this probably not oh my no god way. there's no way it would take it out at this point because the anesthesiologist has to come back to the movie. yeah yeah um and she probably had a catheter <laughs> Oh my because, god! Like, when they put an epidural in, they give you a catheter because yeah. you can't get up to like pee, but they you yeah. need to like make sure. Yeah, really panicking, but I was laughing when it happened because I was like, no, 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 I'm not faint. I'm fine. I'm literally okay. I'm just an idiot. Like I can't feel my legs. Why did I try and stand up? Um, but I'd say the sensation probably came back to my legs properly about an hour later, an hour or two hours later. I had two stitches down below. Um, which I'm gonna I'm not gonna talk about a few things I was gonna talk about in this video I think I'm gonna have to film a separate video because this is gonna be the longest video on planet earth literally no one can prepare you no not nothing anybody can say can prepare you for what you go through when you become a mum and what you experience and the emotions you feel and the love you feel but also the challenge that it is boy oh boy I have never been challenged like it in my entire life sorry if the angle's changed slightly I have just um changed the battery pack but I was just reading through my notes there and I have another three pages about all the other stuff that I wanted to talk about in this video things that happened in hospital just after I gave birth with Bambi um but and, and also the first week of being a mum um and things that happened and but I know that I will literally be sat here for another 30 minutes and I really, really want to talk about that stuff in detail um, and tell you guys the stories and the things that I went through, the tears that I cried, the days that I literally thought, I, I, I can't, I literally can't, I don't know. Like, I know you guys all told me and I feel like a bit of an idiot coming back now and sitting here and saying you, like, you were right. Um, you guys warned me about the sleep deprivation. I think in my head I had it that... I would potentially maybe per night be able to get two hours, three hours sleep and I'd be able to survive off that. Um, But actually what I experienced was from the minute I gave birth on the Monday night until about day five, um, I actually didn't sleep a single hour. I didn't have a single... Is that normal? (laughs) I mean, it's probably not the best plan. Yeah. Because you're going to be dealing with like some serious like baby blues. You yeah, need, you need your sleep. This is why you need. This is why people need community and why people need support. And I also want to add a caveat that not everybody has this experience of an immediate feeling of love and bonding with their baby. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a couple months, and it's completely yeah. normal for that to happen. Sometimes dads don't have that like sobbing sensation at birth. Yeah. A lot of dads do, and it's beautiful. But not every parent reacts to birth in the exact same way, and it's no less valid if you don't feel immediately bonded to your baby. Um, yeah, this is like a small caveat I would add to yeah. like, what they're saying. So, like, just a note, uh, a footnote to like this mm-hmm. experience. It's like, this is their experience, and your experience can look completely different. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
single hour for the first week i absolutely just ran completely off adrenaline um i made myself really quite unwell and um, by day five i definitely will tell you like the full stories but day five was a hundred percent the hardest day of my entire life not not a doubt in my mind like that is that was the hardest day of my life um i genuinely was scared for my myself my health like i was really really scared um because i like i said i had had zero sleep for five nights i've only felt like the last couple of days i've sort of started to get a bit of a grip of myself and start to feel i definitely wouldn't say normal i am far from feeling normal but i'm definitely start starting to remember to take care of myself and remembering to give myself breakfast and to make myself dinner and remembering to have a shower brush my teeth i'll be completely honest i don't think i think there was like stints of like maybe three days where i didn't brush my teeth or even shower or you know change my flipping period pad because things they don't tell you as well you will be on the heaviest it's not a period but you will just bleed insane amounts for the next like for the for the period after you have a vaginal delivery um but even things like remembering to change my pad giving myself a minute to clean myself look after myself like you literally just don't prioritize yourself anymore i can't explain it it's like it's like your own needs just don't matter and the last few days i have i have definitely started to to realize that i have to take care of myself like i am not a good mother i'm not gonna be a good mother to bambi if i don't also take care of myself boy oh boy has this been a crazy crazy experience so far and one that i am so beyond excited to keep learning about and keep experiencing like no matter how hard the days are and no matter how sleep deprived i am or you know whatever like it's like you would do it a million times over like i would live day five the hardest day of my life i would live that every single day for the rest of bambi's life just to make sure she's got everything that she needs. so what did you think she's so sweet i think she's too hard on herself every <sighs> mom is too hard on herself but like first of all her birth is very i don't want to say it's out of touch it's very normal birth experience yeah. i think start to finish it seems like she had a team of people and her partner who were very supportive of her needs and kind of like what she needed for her birth and really tried to like help her achieve what she wanted, which I think is phenomenal. I think that, you know, how people feel about her experience doesn't necessarily matter. It's more of what she feels about her experience. Yeah. And I think it really highlights really strongly, like how much you need to prepare for your postpartum mental health and put, boundaries in place for yourself knowing that you are going to take care of yourself within the first 12 hours of your birth as soon if you have an epidural and you can finally get up get a shower get yourself some food brush your teeth brush your hair put on some makeup or cleanse your face whatever you need to do and then go snuggle your baby it takes 20 minutes to do it 30 minutes maybe you know to do that but take care of yourself you have to take care of yourself yeah because on the other side of that on the other side of that is just like such a better you're able to be a better person for yourself yeah. and for your baby and like you sometimes like i think after we have babies we just stop advocating for ourselves like we advocate for ourselves really really well through our pregnancy and birth but then like the postpartum happens and then kind of all goes out the window yeah um but postpartum mental health the the foundations of that start really really early it can start really really early so yeah 
What do you think is the max someone can sleep if like you have like a postpartum two months? So in the first like couple weeks um, postpartum, I think it's pretty normal for people to get sleep in like three hour stints, right? Because your newborn baby needs to feed every three hours. Yeah. If you're breastfeeding exclusively. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are able to, you know, use a Haka pump and collect a couple ounces of milk, then you could get six hours of sleep because your partner or your doula or your mom or your friend could feed the baby, right, for that one feeding. And I think that it... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it just kind of depends on, you know, your particular circumstance. Um, I don't think I got eight hours of sleep straight through until Esme was six months old. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I just like, she was in a bassinet next to me. Yeah. And so um, she would wake up to eat and I would just like pull her into bed with me, feed her and then put her back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't ever got up. I just never got up out of bed. Like, oh, I just like stayed in bed yeah. all night. And I would, I just had like a little station with like a diaper and wipes right next to my bed so that I could just like wipe, <laughs> give her a little yeah. diaper change if I needed to. But she typically, like, I wouldn't change her diaper in the middle of the night um, at first unless it was poopy. Like, if she had had just peed and it was just, like, a little bit of pee, like, I wouldn't change it until, like, yeah. in the middle of the night, just whatever. Or if I did, I would just, like, quickly do a nappy change and I, like, wouldn't worry about, like, wiping everything perfectly. I was like, I'll deal with it in the yeah. morning and it worked out. Like, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, finding whatever system works well for you, I think there's a lot of pressure to do everything perfect or one particular way or the way that your mom did it or the way that your friend did it. And that's just not how, how life works. Like you have to find your own kind of like rhythm, but yeah. having kind of space for, you know, ease into movement, get some sunshine, make sure you're taking your vitamins still try and rest. If it helps, like sometimes like you can become more nocturnal in the postpartum and just sleep during the day while your partner's there or your mom's there to hold the baby if that feels better. And then you're, you're a little bit more equipped to stay up for like longer stints in the middle of the night. But yeah, I mean, it's just exhausting. I mean, this is why some people have like sleep nannies or like sleep yeah. doulas to like help them. So I feel like I definitely will. Cause like, yeah, if I don't sleep, then I could like be at risk for a seizure and stuff. So I feel like yeah. it was like never like, even I remember when I was doing this internship, like people were encouraging me to go into investment banking. And I was like, no, I literally cannot <laughs> not sleep. That is a horrible idea. <laughs> Um, so yeah, yeah, I know. Oh sleep is super, super important. Like our bodies need sleep. There is like a certain part of us, I think in postpartum that's like better equipped. Like yeah. I, I was a very heavy sleeper before. And then I would just like wake up at the like slightest grunt. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I also like did some, I knew that I would be kind of anxious postpartum too. Like I kind of prepared for that because it took us so much to get Esme. I was like so concerned about something happening to yeah. her. And I knew that that was like it's an anxiety piece for me. So um, I like bought a baby snooza like movement monitor and I would clip it on her diaper at night. And it basically like, it basically, if it, if it stops moving, it beeps. Yeah. Right? So it counts respirations. Mm. Um, it went off twice. Um, one, well, it went off twice where it was like, okay, like she may have been having like, just like newborns can stop breathing similar to like sleep apnea because their, their body's not quite regulated it. Yeah. Um, 
one time she was actually not breathing, but it wasn't like concerning because it just it was like 30 seconds. And I just like, boom, like basically picked her up and then she just kind of like gulped air. Wait, and then right. the other time it was like the monitor wasn't sitting perfectly on her stomach. Um, yeah. But it gave me a lot of reassurance to be able to let myself sleep. And I'm yeah. glad that I had that tool. Other people love the like Owlet smart sock. The reason I decided not to use that one in particular is because like our internet, you're, you basically have to have good internet connection. Oh, okay. um, and our yeah. internet connection would like reset in the middle of the night. And I didn't want to just be woken up constantly. So yeah, I, I saw know. that in the reviews and I was like, I'll just pick the one that's more analog. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it doesn't have any internet connection, right? It just like, it just catches the breathing and it clips directly on their diaper under their PJs. Um, so yeah, I was thankful to have tools like that. Um, and all in all, I thought like the postpartum experience was like fairly good still. Um, but everyone's is so different and you can't really compare yours to somebody else. Like (laughs) everybody has their own, you know, kind of experience with birth and the postpartum. And I think that collectively we can do a lot better as a community to like take care of each other. Um, and yeah, I think there's like, yeah, but that was a beautiful story. I'm glad. I think it's so cool to see moms normalizing. Yeah. Birth and postpartum. Because like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been following her since 2020 because that during the pandemic in April, 2020, I went through a love Island phase and I watched every season. <laughs> um, I actually watched season one and two when I was abroad in London in 2018, but then like the up to season six, I think um, during in April, 2020, and yeah, like they were my favorite couple to come out of Love Island because they're just so like soft and warm and bubbly. And she's pretty like demanding, I would say. Like she wears the pants in the relationship. But I like love that. And I love that he's so receptive to it. And he's always so sweet to her, even though he's a fighter. But literally, like you wouldn't be able to tell because he just has like the kindest personality. And so I was shocked when they announced that they were pregnant because they were season four's winners, which I think was like 20. 20 maybe like 2019 or something and so they haven't even been like they're not married they haven't been dating for that long like I think three like it must be like I guess now like four years but um yeah when they announced she was pregnant they'd only been dating for three years and she talked about how it was such a shock to them because she had um either PCOS or endometriosis I forget which but she had Mm -hmm. always anticipated having fertility issues but she talks about how even so um, or because of that, her, she never went on birth control and she wasn't on birth control for like three years. And so it wasn't a shock to them that she got pregnant, but it kind of was because she was ex- anticipating having fertility issues. And so she, when she talks about like her, how she found out that she was pregnant, she talks about how there were like two weeks where she was literally just like in shock and like, didn't even know how to feel about it. Yeah. Uh, and so it was like, just so crazy, but yeah, I love her. <laughs> that probably feels very real to a lot of parents because like yeah. I, was, I was just having a conversation earlier today about like how it's so wild that pregnancy can happen by accident and yet you have a whole other human <laughs> that you're like yeah. taking care of and like I know yeah like people are wildly unprepared sometimes and it's okay yeah. I mean I think it I saw there's another couple um on TikTok that's pretty famous and they were talking about their pregnancy and health. She was just like in denial, even though there's like a sonogram and all these different things. It's just like, she wasn't mentally prepared for that. And so it was just like this massive kind of feelings of shock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For sure. Um, Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for doing this with us. It's cool to get your insights and um, yeah, hoping to feature more of you on the channel. (laughs) I 
I feel like this can become a series of us like yeah. reacting to like reacting to celebrity pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Birth stories. Oh yeah, gosh, we should cool. do we should do Shane Mitchell's video or something. Um totally. Yeah. Okay, well thanks everyone cool. for watching. Make sure to like and subscribe. <laughs> Well, 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 that about wraps us up. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Birth Podcast by Anja House. As you know, my name is Catherine, and I am the founder of Anja House. I founded Anja House in memory of my younger brother, Andrew, who needed cord blood stem cells to be able to help treat his cerebral palsy. So Anja House is something that is really important to me. It's actually named after my brother. But in any case, if you are currently pregnant or know someone who's pregnant, then definitely visit us at AndraHealth.com. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do or get more free pregnancy resources, then check out our community, which you can find at AndraHealth.com community. It's totally free for pregnant parents. And if you want to get more free information in general about us, you can check us out on Facebook at AndraHealth, Instagram, Andra.Health, Twitter, AndraHealth. My own personal TikTok is Catherine Anja, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-A-N-J-A. And we have a company TikTok as well, Anja Health. And you can also text us with any questions. Yes, it is a real person at 310-620-1663. Thank you so much. Bye.